Lonely song, the songs for you. How many years has it been since I made a podcast? Does anybody know? About seven? What? Six or seven years, right? Okay. Well, the thing about the thing about podcasts is, I haven't made any because I felt like I felt like it was rather pointless. We were we were doing podcast on the fourth way, and the more the 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 more people that I met in the fourth way, the less inclined I was to do podcast for the fourth way. And the reason was because I felt like the fourth way had devolved in modern times into an intellectual system of ideas that completely lacked any spiritual power. And that's not the fourth way that I knew. That's not what Gurdjieff was about. That's not what Morris Nichol was about. Uh, I don't know whether Ospensky was about that or not. I suspect that he was responsible for making the fourth way a more intellectual approach. Now, I don't know that that was a bad thing when he did it, because he really was the one who brought it to the world, Ospensky was. Gurdjieff was not so much... Um, he was not interested so much in spreading it to the world. In fact, I think Gurdjieff probably was less interested in spreading it to the world than, than we can imagine. I think that he, his system, he, he didn't care for an intellectual system. He didn't care who got it. It, it, for him, it was if 10,000 people did never heard about it, but one person heard about it and got something from it and did something about it, then I feel like Gurdjieff was happy. You know, one of the criticisms that I've received was it's not even his own teaching. And that has always been very funny to me because it's true. Uh, this isn't my teaching. There is nothing in this that is my teaching. This is not my own. And that is the greatest thing about me, is that this isn't my own. I have no ideas of my own. The truth about that is no one has any ideas of their own. Everything is built on something that somebody else did a long time ago. Now, I know that that's Obama-ish. You think you built that company? You didn't build that company. You didn't build that business. You didn't do that. That is not true. Obama wasn't talking about ideas. He was talking about brick and mortar things. He was talking about physical things. I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. And spiritual things must be spiritually understood. They can't be understood in any other way. If you try to understand spiritual things in physical terms, you're going to fail. You're not going to grasp the ideas. So the task that I set for myself is very difficult. Now, so why am I doing this now after six or seven years? Why now do I want to make a podcast? Well, the reason is because after six or seven years, things change. I've changed. 
I'm a different person than I was six or seven years ago. What do they say? They say every seven years, you have a new body. Every single cell in your body has been replaced. Every one of them. So you are truly a new creature, physically. You're not the same person you are. Now you have a memory, and that memory, according to the theory, will produce scars that you had and you can remember from so many years ago. And then, of course, you're going to look at some, you're going to find a scar and go, well, how did I get that? I don't remember getting that. But then perhaps the body has a memory and the body remembers that scar. I know the body has a voice. Somebody was talking to me the other day and they said uh, about complaining. I guess it was Curtis. And we talked about complaining. And I said, yeah, I complain. And the body complains and the body has a voice. The body groans. The body says, ouch, when it's hurt. The body cries. All of these things are true and they're verifiably true. You can verify it in your own life with your own body. The great thing about the fourth way was that Gurdjieff said, you are the laboratory. All of this teaching, all of these ideas are meaningless without you. You must apply these ideas to give them meaning. If you don't give them meaning, they're meaningless. So I wanted to reset. This is a reset, a spiritual reset. It's like, yes, Curtis sometimes will listen to the old podcasts and he'll say, God, they were so good. You know, you hit so many things and it's this, and it's right on, you know, and, and he's right. If you listen to the old podcast, they're right. But what happened was the people listening to the old podcast were not right. I remember talking to one person. I'm not going to use names because people get so upset if they're called out on their bull. Yeah, you can fill in the blanks. If they're called out on their bull, they get so upset. It's like, why is that? Well, it's because we don't think. It's the basis of the fourth way was we're unconscious and we imagine that we're conscious. This is the basis of the whole. It starts here. It starts with you are unconscious. You do not know that you are unconscious. You imagine that you are fully conscious, fully awake all the time. This is true. And it is offensive. It is offensive to people to be told that they're unconscious. But then they prove it every time they open their mouths. They prove it by resisting. I say to you, well, you're unconscious. I am not they resist it, they deny it, and they're offended by it. And they say they're not offended by it, but they are offended by it. I'm offended by it. I'm offended by the fact that I'm unconscious. Now, am I unconscious all the time? No. If I was unconscious all the time, wouldn't that be beautiful? I mean, think about it. To be unconscious all the time would be great. Problem with life is we have conscious shocks. We get conscious shocks in life, and then we're awake for a moment. And in that moment, it's like our skulls are cracked open and light leaks in. And it shows us how wrong we were. But we don't focus on how wrong we were. We focus on, oh my God, this is what it means to be conscious. I'm alive. And that is so overpowering. The light is so overpowering that we forget about the darkness. That's another one of the problems with the light. The light of consciousness is so stunning that it makes you forget all of the unconsciousness that we've lived in for years, for our whole life. And so 
it adds to the imagination or it enables the imagination to imagine, well, you know, the only time we know we're awake is when we realize for an instant that we were asleep. Oh my God, I, I was not conscious. And then that one moment, and that's not, when, when I say conscious, I don't mean conscious, like fully conscious. I mean a little conscious. I remember this one person saying, well, you've been doing this for this many years and no one's made it to the fourth man or no one's made it to man number seven. It's like, that's so funny. It's like, like it's going to happen overnight. Like as if you, you read the books and you study this stuff and you do this stuff, then boom, it's just going to happen. And now we've been together 34 years, 34 years. This is unheard of a group that has been together for 34 years. It doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, it happens if it's at the golf club or, you know, or, or you play pinochle or something with somebody. Then, you know, you can do that for 34, every Saturday night for 34 years. People, you know, these two couples played pinochle. This is not the same thing. This is not pinochle. This is not something that you make a date and you do it. This is something that is driven by something that we can't see something that we can't verbalize. We are driven by this desire to know, this desire to be free. And what the fourth way points to is freedom, freedom from bondage to the world and to ourselves, to our egos, to our false personalities is the way the fourth way would say it. I'm not going to do anything with the fourth way. Yet, it is still valuable and viable because it's true. The problem is, is it's been taken wrong. You take Christianity, for example. Christianity is viable and true, but not the way it's practiced today. The way it's practiced today has nothing or so little to do with Christianity as it is. You know, I've said recently, Jesus was not a Jew. And people get so upset over that. What do you mean Jesus was? Of course he was a Jew. He was born a Jew, blah, 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 blah. But he always talked about Judaism like it was them. Your religion, your, you believe in Moses. You say this and you say that. Your laws and your traditions. He didn't own them as his own. And the reason he didn't own them as his own is because they were flawed. And the reason they were flawed is because people were flawed. It's an evolving process. Spiritual understanding doesn't just come like a thunderclap. It comes bit by bit, drip by drip, actually. You know, if you have a leaky faucet, it's funny. If you have a leaky faucet, you don't think much because drip. Drip, drip, just a few drops every minute. And then you put a bucket under that and you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and the bucket's full. And you go, wow, how did, it, how did that happen? Well, how that happened was drip by drip. And if you're sitting there watching it, it doesn't seem to be anything. And if it's just going down the drain, it's not anything. You put a bucket under it and you see how much water you've accumulated overnight. And then you think, oh, well, I guess I better fix this drip because I'm wasting water. 
if you're a responsible person. If you're an irresponsible person, you don't ever think you're wasting anything. You think that resources, the natural resources that we have on this planet are endless. And you just ignore the whole idea of conservation. When do you get the idea of conservation? You get the idea of conservation when your consciousness expands to the point that you can realize that we're in a closed system, that the water that we have on this earth is the same amount of water that we've had on this earth since the beginning. We don't have any more and we don't have any less. It's just in different places and shifts, but that's all there is to it. The same thing with all of our natural resources. They are what they are, and that's all they're ever going to be. We're never going to have more. We're never going to have more. We'll never have more oil. We're never have, we'll never have more coal. We'll never have more gas. Not in our lifetimes and not in our children's lifetimes or in our grandchildren's lifetimes or our great, 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 great grandchildren's lifetimes because it takes millions of years to make oil. It takes millions of years to make fossil fuels. And it takes 60, 100, 200 years to use them all. It's simple. Do the math. It's not sustainable. We, we ignore that. Who ignores that? Well, unconscious people ignore that. Who are unconscious people? Unconscious people are us, all of us. This whole planet is unconscious. Gurdjieff said if there were, I can't remember, it was 10 or 100 conscious men on the planet, the whole planet would be different. I agree, but that's all theory for us. We can't prove that. I like to stick with things that I can prove, and that means I like to stick with almost nothing because I can prove almost nothing. I can prove, can I prove that there is a God? Well, what do you mean by God? Do you mean some bearded man sitting on a throne up somewhere up in the sky in heaven? Well, I don't believe that. Do you mean some force? No, I don't believe that. Do you mean some power? No, I don't really believe that. What do you believe? I believe that we are created, that human beings are created beings, that we did not make ourselves, and we, did, and we are not an accident. We're, I believe that we've evolved, but I think that we've evolved from what was planted. I think that this creator... Let's just say that this creator planted all this, planted ideas, planted seeds, planted us as animals, but animals capable of becoming something entirely different, kind of like you know, the old thing that they use about butterflies. You know, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, and it's something totally different than what it was. It goes into this cocoon, it builds this cocoon, it goes into this cocoon, and then this transformation happens, and it comes out winged and flies. And it looks nothing like what it looked like when it went in. They say that because that's the closest thing we can come to physically to help us understand the possibility of man's evolution, the possibility of man reaching beyond the animal, the possibility of becoming what Gurdjieff called a real man, what we were meant to be, what we were created to be. I can't prove this, but I do believe it. And in the believing of it, we do something about it. For example, we meditate. 
we meditate, we get together and we meditate for an hour before we do anything else. Why? What, what's, the, what's the point, really? Well, you know, it's, it's beneficial because it helps relieve stress. If that's all there is to it, I don't care. It's not worth it. Unless you're really stressed out, and I'm not, then it's not worth it. It's like there's things you could do for that hour that go out and pick flowers or garden for an hour, and that could be just as stress relieving, you see? So that's not it. All of the things that, that they tell you today that meditation is good for, that's nice, but I don't care. I can go garden or I can go uh, paint. I can do a lot of things that relieve stress. Listen to music. There's, listen to, if I listen to classical music, that can absolutely mellow me out. So doing yoga helps. There's so many things that, that work. So what's the deal with meditation then? Well, I believe that meditation is spiritual food. I believe that it feeds our unseen spirit. What is spirit? Well, a lot of people say spirit is, is mind. Okay. I don't know. But that's, that's good enough for me for now. And maybe someday there'll be more. The reason we're doing this podcast now is because six or seven years later, I think there is more. I think it, it has changed. I think I've changed. I think you've changed. I think we're different. We look at things differently. We feel things differently. We take in impressions differently. Now, does that mean that we're perfect or that we've arrived? No, it's just ridiculous. We're laughing now because that's exactly why we laugh. We go, that's absurd. Seven years, six years, that's nothing. That's like a drop in the bucket. That's like a drip of the faucet. It seems like nothing. And yet, year after year, it fills the bucket. We change slowly, very slowly. In fact, excruciatingly slowly. So the guy who said, well, you worked all these years and no, you're nowhere. It hasn't, you haven't arrived. No, you'll never arrive. That's what I, what, I, what I should have said to him was, no, you'll never arrive. No one will ever arrive because we're dealing with the infinite. And infinite means without end. Infinite means without end. It continues forever. What is eternal life? Well, yeah, right now, but right now forever? Yes, right now forever. Constant change, but the change is so slow that it appears that there's no change at all. It's like children. You watch children grow up. If you're close to them, if you're parents, and you see them every day, they don't grow. But all you have to do is be a grandparent and see them you know, three times a year, five times a year, six times a year, every couple months. And then it's like, oh, my God, look at this. They're just all going so fast. Look at he's grown. And that's what I mean. Spiritually, that happens. Spiritually, if someone who left here 10 or 15 years ago were to come back, there's, there's no way they would fit. They would be 10 or 15 years behind. Why? Because when you get off the bus, you stay at that bus stop until you get the next bus. And then when you get the next bus, you're that far behind. No, it's a constant process. It's a constant thing. It has to be. You must continually, what did, what did Paul say? I die daily. And what he meant was the old man 
has to be constantly replaced. He must be constantly replaced. Your ideas must be constantly replaced, reinforced, changed. The idea that you had when you first got into this, you look back on it now and it's hilarious. You think, oh my God, how could I have believed that? How could I have been such a jerk? How could I have not known this or not known that? Well, it was because there were only a couple of drops in the bucket. You couldn't, you couldn't wet much with the water that was in the bucket at that time. But now, now you can wet a whole lot more, but can you water the lawn with it? Not really, you see? So it's impractical. This way is impractical. It's not a practical way. If it was a practical way, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would be practicing it. That's what practical means. It means it's practicable. This is practicable, but how many people are practicing it? How many of us practice it all the time? Yeah, that's right. Not very many practice it all the time. The, the reason we look to me is because supposedly I practice it more than the rest of the people here. And that's probably true. But looking around, I think it is true. <laughs> but then looking around, everybody thinks that's true. You look around your world and you think, I'm the only one awake. You look at all these other people that are asleep and you think, I'm the only one awake. You drive your car and you think, my God, all these people are asleep. And you're right. And 90% of the time, 99% of the time, possibly, you are too. But it's that time, that moment that you wake up and you think, my God, they're all asleep. How come they're not running you into each other more? I don't know. I personally believe that there is some benevolent force in the universe, our creator, that interferes with our stupidity, interferes with our ignorance, sheds light on us even when we don't deserve it, makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad, makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And I think without that, without the sun shining on the good and the bad or the just and the unjust, however that goes, everything would be nothing. It would be all lost. I think that his order is established, I say his order, because I don't know. Is God a he or a she? No, I don't think God is a he or a she or anything. I don't know what to think. And so I don't lie about it. I don't say, well, God is this or God is that. I only say what I think I know, what I think I know based on my own laboratory, what I have been able to prove to myself, within myself, there are things that I've been able to prove within myself, to myself, that are true, good, that are true. What else can I say that are true? For example, I think the old saw that you catch more flies with sugar or honey than you do with vinegar. I think that's provable. I think it's true. I think you set out a dish of vinegar and you set out a dish of sugar or honey, and the sugar or honey will attract more flies than the vinegar. I think they, we can prove that. And I think it's true. And I think there are things that are true. And I think there are spiritual things that are true. And without adding to those spiritual things that I've been able to prove to myself, which are very few, quite frankly, I don't think it's anywhere near what the world makes up. I think imagination is just as strong when it comes to spiritual things as it is when it comes to physical things or anything else. I think imagination is incredibly powerful. And that our imagination, we imagine things that are simply not true. And I think that's true spiritually too. We imagine things spiritually that are not true. Or if they are true, if we have used imagination properly and they are true, 
It's still imagination, but it's imagination that guides you to a greater understanding of the thing that you're imagining about. Are you with me so far? I think that kindness is better than unkindness. I think that love is better than hate. Even the love that we have, which is not conscious love, it's just a changeable love, a love that can turn to something else. I love my wife as long as she's doing what I want her to do. I love my friends as long as they're my friends. And that is not love. That's not conscious love. That's not true love. That's not spiritual love. There is no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for the sake of his friends. Well, there's not a lot of that going around in the event you hadn't noticed, but we all imagine that we have that love until it comes to shedding blood for a friend. And then it's like, well, giving a kidney for a friend, you know, then it's a serious, then it's serious business. Lay down your life, oh, you're asking for a kidney. Then you start to approach a greater love. But then still, that there is no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for the sake of his friends. That's more than a kidney. That's more than both kidneys. That's the heart, the brain, the liver, the kidneys, the spleen, the lungs. That's everything. You'll give up everything for your friend. Well, there is no greater love than this, and there is no rarer love than this. There is nothing more rare because we're basically not there. But we're approaching it slowly, drop by drop, or in our case, drip by drip. I think that forgiveness is better than unforgiveness. I think it's better than vengeance, better than holding a grudge. But I think it's more rare than almost anything that we can imagine. It's like love. And why it's like love is because love and forgiveness are kind of like hand in glove. They seem to go together. You approach conscious love through forgiveness. That doesn't mean you've got it, but you approach it through forgiveness. If you can suck it up and genuinely forgive someone, you have come a drop or two in the bucket closer to conscious love. And someday, if you keep on forgiving, you will reach conscious love. Now, what if I'm wrong? What if all this is just balderdash? What if it's just imagination? Well, what if it is? I think it's the right kind of imagination. I think that we can imagine a better world and we can imagine a way to get there, a spiritual way to get there. We can imagine, and let's say this is all imagination. Let's say we imagine that we're animals. We don't have to imagine that we're animals. We are animals. We live in an animal body. And yet we realize that we're different from all the other animals on earth. And what is the main difference? Well, we're self-conscious, except that elephants also are self-conscious. Well, how do we know that? Well, you put an elephant in front of a mirror and you, you paint a spot on the elephant's head and the elephant recognizes itself because it recognizes that spot is different than, and it'll point to it. I don't know if I've got that exactly correct about it pointing to it, but and about the spot, but someone did that once. Someone painted, on an, painted something on an elephant's head and then the elephant saw itself in the mirror and realized that the spot was on its head. Just like you would look in a mirror and see something on your face and wipe it off. The elephant would do the same thing. So self-conscious, 
Now, we don't know what other animals have that ability, but it does. And we don't know if it's equal to ours or not, but that's the beginning of the difference between man and other animals. It's not just that we walk upright and we use tools. There are lots of animals that use tools. You know, seagulls, crows, and ravens use tools. There are animals that use tools, so that's not it. We say, oh, we're, we're the only animal. No, we're not. We're not the only animal that can use tools. We have opposable thumbs. That gives us an advantage that other animals don't have. And all the things that you make up, all the things that you make up, well, that was, that's what makes us different. Yes, that's what makes us different, but that's not the difference I'm talking about. I'm talking about man's possibility to completely, absolutely transcend his animal self and become a new creature in the same way that a caterpillar can completely transcend itself and become an entirely different creature and can fly. What I'm saying is that I believe that man has that ability, that he can somehow, and I think I have a grasp of how, not a complete grasp, not a complete knowledge, but I think I have enough knowledge to begin the process. And I think that in the process of processing, I will be able to have more knowledge added to the knowledge that I have that will narrow it down, as it were. In the beginning, we think, oh, all we have to do is be nice. Yeah, and in the beginning, that's all you have to do is be nice. And then it's, well, then it's love one another. Well, in the beginning, that's all you have to do is love one another. And that love can be any old love. It can be just being nice to each other. Just stop being hateful. Stop being unforgiving. Stop being a jerk. Yeah, and that works. And that leads to something else. And that leads to something else. And that something leads to something else. And that something leads to something else. It's truly like a stairway to heaven. You take one step and that's all there is. There's just this step. You work on this step and it may take you 10 years to get this step mastered. Or mastered enough so that you can move to the next step. And then it can take you five years to do anything on that step toward mastery. Depending on how much you work at it. How much animo you have, how much enthusiasm, how much, uh, what's the word, huh? Passion. Yeah, passion, that's a good word. How much passion that you have for it. And let's face it, our passion is like the tides of the sea. It ebbs and it flows. Sometimes it's at high tide and we really are passionate about it. And sometimes the tide's out so far we don't remember it at all. And that's the way it is. It's not some other way. That's the way it is for everyone. You look at all of the people who have lived for the last 2,000 years and all of the people that are remarkable spiritual people in the last 2,000 years that we know about. And we know so few. Brother Lawrence, Sister Teresa, John of the Cross. And these are all Catholics that really didn't produce that much. The Catholic Church didn't really produce that much in 2,000 years. They didn't produce that much. And what they did produce, they murdered the truly spiritually evolved people that the Catholic Church produced. Nine times out of 10, they murdered them. That's why? Just like in Israel. Well, it's Prophets. just, yes, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, a prophet is without honor in his own home. Why is that? Why is it so difficult 
for us to look at human beings and to see their flaws and discount their spiritual progress. It just is. Because we don't look at ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, because we don't look at ourselves. But it's also because it's tough. It's tough to see through matter. You know, you take, a, you take a wall. Here's a wall. It's so hard to see the garden through that wall, but the garden's out there. But the wall prevents you from seeing it. And that's the way it is spiritually. The spiritual is there. But the wall, the, the flesh, the substance prevents you from seeing it. So you have to see it in your mind's eye. You have to see it. And what does that mean? Well, that's faith. Faith is seeing what you can't see with these physical eyes with your mind's eye. Now, the problem with faith is that imagination enters in. And when imagination enters in, faith is gone or faith is overpowered by imagination. It's insane to do this. It's insane to make podcasts and think that anyone could be touched by it. It's insane to think that words can make a difference, that saying these things, telling the truth can make somebody change, can make somebody different. And and, and of course it can't. That's absolutely true. Words cannot do it, but you can do it. If you prepare your soil, if you prepare your mind, if you prepare yourself to receive the ideas behind the words, if you're willing to pay attention to them, to nurture them, like you would nurture a seed that you planted in the garden. And what does it mean to nurture it? Well, it means you pull the weeds that come up that would choke it out. It means that you fertilize it. It means that you water it. It means that you make sure that it gets the sunlight that it needs. Well, if you're willing to do that with these ideas, then they will grow. And eventually, if you keep it up, they will bear fruit. And you will know by the fruit that you get that it's real. And that's the only way you'll know it's real. And the people who never plant and never nurture will never know. And they will be the skeptics. They will be the naysayers. They will be the unconscious. They will be the dead. Gurdjieff called them the dead. The walking, talking dead. That is, the people who are running the world. He called them the dead. And now we can see exactly what he meant. Now, maybe 10 years ago, we didn't know exactly what he meant. But now we know. You look at them and you think, oh, my God, they're dead. They have not one shred of real life in them. They're not on the path. They're on a different path. They're on a descending octave. And they're taking the world with them. The world is on a descending octave. What does that mean? It means that it's downturning. Oh, but we look at it, we say, but technologically we're so advanced. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, we are. That's absolutely true. Technologically, we are so advanced. It's like a kid with a credit card or a kid with an iPhone. Yeah, he can do all these things, but does he know anything? Can he drive a car? Can a four-year-old drive a car? No, but he can text. Can an eight-year-old drive a car? Nobody can text. And he can use a computer. He can use these. He can use all this stuff. Yes, but that's all stuff. The real stuff of life. Can he do that? No, because he has not developed his frontal cortex. And until you develop your frontal cortex, you're an idiot. 
You are completely, absolutely moved around on the chessboard of life by events. Everything that moves you is events. It all comes from life. But what we're talking about has to come from somewhere else outside of life. Gurdjieff put it like, we're all in prison. The only way to escape from prison is you have to have somebody on the outside who has escaped, who knows how to do it, and then he helps you do it. He puts a file in a cake or whatever, you know. He helps you to, you know, you can dig the tunnel, but you don't know which way to dig. He has to tell you which way to dig. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants somebody else telling them how to do it. I know this is true because it's true in me, and I know it's true in you because I see it. But people who don't know it's true in themselves, they're not going to know it's true in you or anybody else. They're not going to know it's true. The only way that you can prove the truth is to bear fruit in yourself. And then it's your fruit. You, nobody else can eat that fruit. You do the work. Nobody else, can, nobody else can get the fruit from that. Unless they see some change in you, it inspires them to do the same thing because now you're the guy on the outside of the prison. And somebody inside the prison sees that and they say, I want out. First of all, you have to recognize you're in prison. 99% of the people on the planet don't know that they're in prison, that this flesh imprisons their spiritual self. And it's that way until you see it. And then you begin to feed your spiritual self your flesh. You begin to eat yourself. Eating the eye, it's called. This is complex. This is really complex because we're not used to thinking in these terms. We're not used to valuing things that are unseen. It's so much easier to value what's seen, what we can put our hands on, what we can dig into. You can value an apple. You can value a cantaloupe. You, know, you can value a shirt or a pair of shoes. That's easy to value. But how do you value meditation? How do you value what you get from meditation when you don't know what you're getting from it? When each drop, there's so much time and distance between each drop that you lose track. It's still accumulating, but you're not aware of it. You only become aware of it when there's enough in the bucket to measure. And then you say, oh, look, something's happened. But what's happened? I don't know, but it's something. It's, it's more. I, I'm, I'm closer than I was. Imagine a cork in that bucket of water that's dripping, a cork. You can't really, it doesn't float the cork for a long time. It takes a lot of drops in the bucket to float that cork. And it takes a lot more to get that cork to, to come halfway up. We don't know how deep the bucket is. That's our first problem. We don't know how deep the bucket is. We don't know how far we have to go. And as soon as we, and if we did know how far we had to go, we'd quit. Right now, we'd quit. We'd just go, forget it, it's impossible. It'll never happen. So we don't know. That's a gift. The gift of not knowing. And what do we do with the gift of not knowing? Fret. No. Yeah, we do fret. But we destroy it with imagination. We imagine that we're there. We imagine that we've made it. We've imagined, we imagine that we've arrived. And so we stop working. And that's the end of that. Until we get a conscious shock. <sighs> I tell you what, it's a tough row to hoe. But it's all we've got. Either that, or we live the life of the dead. The living, talking, 
walking, acting dead. It's either this or that. Now we've come too far on this to go back to that. And yet we still got plenty of that in our system and not near enough this. So we keep working. And hopefully if we keep working, we'll raise that quirk a little bit more and that will inspire us to keep working and it'll raise that quirk a little bit more. And it may be imperceptible day by day, but it's not year by year. This work is measured in years and decades and scores of years and quite frankly, lifetimes. We are building on what others did. This is not my teaching. I am proud of that fact. I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I know that I know nothing. It was Socrates thing. The Oracle of Delphi told him, you're the wisest man in the world because you know you don't know anything. Well, I'm certainly not the wisest man in the world, but I know that I don't know anything. And so I'm not going to lie about it. And I'm also not going to lie about what I've been able to confirm in my own laboratory by testing and bearing fruit, planting and bearing fruit in my, in my own laboratory, in my own self that has shown me that I have made progress and that this is true and that it works. And quite frankly, I'm not interested in showing anybody or fixing anybody. I don't care. The whole world, as far as I'm concerned, can go to hell in a handcart. I don't care. Everyone has a choice. You either choose this path or you don't choose. That's your choice. You either choose this path or you accept what life gave you and you are bound by the limitations of this life. And you never, you never test it. You never find out. You never build the cocoon that shuts you off from life, that insulates you from life, so that inside that cocoon, you can do the work. And doing that work, eventually, you come out as a butterfly. Now, are there any butterflies here? Yeah, every single one of them. Every single one of you have transcended your own self in many ways. You know it, I know it. You're not the person you were. And the person that you're becoming can never be measured outside of yourself. Now, other people can look at you and say, well, he's changed. Well, what changed? I don't know. He's just nicer, softer, kinder, blah, 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 blah. But they don't know. Unless they do it themselves, they don't know, and they'll never know. And unless you do it yourself, you don't know, and you'll never know. You light up instant matter